RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So the political news, the big political news that everyone's talking about from over the weekend was the announcement by Brian Tamaki that uh, small parties have come together to, well, sit under an umbrella called the Umbrella Party. So who better to tell us what has come together, how it came together, and what it all means, and can it be successful? Is Brian Tamaki himself on Reality Check Radio. Brian, welcome to our radio station. Thanks for giving us a bit of time this morning. Thank you, Paul, for having me. Okay, uh, quite a weekend. Right? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Okay, I know that you've, you've well, been back in the country only for a short time because you've been overseas. You went to Gallipoli as one of the places. We may be talking mm-hmm. about that a bit later on. So everything seems to have happened for you really quickly. How much was set up before you were away? How much did you have to sort of bring in for landing when you arrived? And 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 how quickly did all that come together? And then we'll go through what what has actually come together. Uh, one word I could use is frantic. Um, there was frantic pace I landed. Uh, I think it was uh, Thursday night, uh, Friday, I tried to find out where I was. Uh, and Saturday, it was all on. Right. By that time, we still hadn't had two parties cross the line. It was all happening Friday night up till about 11 o'clock midnight that I had two parties cross the line. That's with negotiation, negotiating um, for, uh, I would say, over uh, two or three months. Right. But there was no um, real conclusion to actually guarantee that it was going to happen. So when I was away, everything was still up in the air. So I virtually did that in a few hours that I got back. And um, I, I'm kind of really proud, actually, because if I could say that this uh, Freedom's New Zealand umbrella was a request that came from the people themselves, the public of New Zealand, and mostly from the Bilex and Tauranga, when asked what did they want, they said they wanted the smaller parties to be united under one umbrella and to face off with these two major parties, particularly in our corrupt political system. So, well, I took that and went away and, and I did it. Now, I've got to say, Paul, I was told that was impossible. Too many big egos, including yourself, Brian, it won't happen. In fact, I had more, tell me, more people tell me what I couldn't do than actually encouraging me that I could do it. So I decided, well, you know, somebody's got to give this a try and you know, as they say, look no, no further than under your nose. So I got into it, Paul. And I'm proud to say that we have four parties registered um, with us now, five, no, four. And we have three unregistered parties, two fairly sizable organisations. And I've just had a phone call from another party uh, while I was actually negotiating with the other two parties to get them across the line. I had a call from a third party, and I've now just had another call from a, another party wanting to talk. So this looks like it could end up being a grand coalition. Okay, because I've I've heard um, you being told to your face almost that this is not possible, mm. <laughs> and and oh, I yeah. think most orthodox uh, commentators went along with that. They said, "Of course, you can't do this." Who is actually under the umbrella? Is that the official name of the party, by the way? uh, Paul, could I just say, this probably is a, um, it is probably an unprecedented um, Hmm. political achievement. Can I just say this? 
So after all the naysayers and the mainstream media were the worst, and some of the people in, out there in the public, they were the same. We've done it now with, say, well, four, there's five registered parties altogether, um, and these other parties that are coming that are unregistered and organised, big organisations. Um, how would they feel now that you, you've achieved that? I mean, nobody's really said, oh, wow, good on you. You've brought, you know, some big parties together, and there are others that are happening and big organisations, and yet people are still saying, oh, no. You know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. I find the negativity in this country unbelievable, considering I've been to a number of countries around the world, some in more uh, or lesser circumstances, and yet there's a positivity about the work they do, even taxi drivers. So I find this rather interesting in this country that you can achieve so much and do so much to at least convince some people well, if that's happened and this has now happened, um, wouldn't you think it'd be a good idea if we all got together? The twenty percent is quite realistic. Yeah, I see that you stated that, and again, that's been met with like what twenty percent? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what, just getting back to that point you just made, why do you think there is that negativity? There's always been a tall poppy here, and you know it was hard to know to what extent or how far that went. Is that the well, syndrome you're talking about, or is it kind yeah, of deeper than that? It's deeper. I Before I even started the um, the, the protest movement, um, I knew that there was an underbelly in this country that was um, it was definitely beginning to, as a whole paradigm shift, we shifted a lot from what we were known as has pretty much been a friendly country and nice people family-oriented, we had good values, reasonably good values, and we were, it's um, reasonable to say we're a Christian country. That is not the situation right now. Um, we have moved away from good values. We, um, I think we've gone quite liberal, far left, um, very easily allowed what I would call extreme behaviours to come into uh, family life, um, the demoralisation of our children and our future generations by what's happening in our schools. And I'd also say that I'm very disappointed in the church itself of New Zealand, that it's allowed itself to take such a back seat, being at one stage at least 50% of this population, um, which has declined. Um, and we've seen now other faiths that are more stronger in recent times. But, yeah, I think... I think if we would be honest, um, we need moralising all over again. The, moral, the demoralisation factors allowed, um, I, I guess, the transgender movement and the gay movement, the LGBT community, to get some uh, real empowerment. And they have certainly slotted into that spot and have taken advantage of it. That That is a political issue. So you know, we can touch on it in that context. Um, a lot of people are confused, don't quite, and I'm, uh, myself, I am too, where this has all come from all of a sudden and why it seems to have such, well, such a power behind it. There seems to be quite a force behind it. It's in your face. Yeah. Look what happened well, at Albert Park. Um, yeah. You know, New Zealand, young New Zealander of the year, uh, yada, yada, yada. How do, you, how do we explain that? Well, first of all, they could not have such... 
uh, traction and, and get power um, unless we gave it to them. And I think, as I said before, Paul, New Zealanders have allowed slip some, some great values. They've allowed themselves to really, uh, I think, take on the liberalisation that came through and started with the mother of all mayhem, that's Helen Clark, in the Labour government, because I remember standing up 2005, four, 2004, where I got ridiculed. That's where I got basically um, rebranded uh, from the media when I genuinely took men who've, I've been working with uh, turning lives around some of society's worst nightmares into better husbands, better fathers, getting families together. And I'm talking about thousands of particularly those who are disadvantaged, Māori, out of prisons, or have just lost hope. We went down there. I went down there to basically uphold the value of family. Don't touch the male and female. I did. I said it then. And um, I got ridiculed. The media attacked me. The public of New Zealand believed them that I was a hater. And I mean, instead of focusing on the point, and I gave clear indication that I said Helen Clark was opening the door to our country, to a, uh, a legislation and a, and a socialization. I could see it that she was turning this country's, and she was basically hijacking its history and eliminating it. She was definitely undermining the Christian values that was underpinning our parliament and our nation, and she dismantled it very openly. And that there, I believe, is when the public of New Zealand were asleep. They were too busy uh, making money, which is okay, and beach batches and uh, doing all that stuff and having fun in our free country, not realising it was set up to be actually stolen from them and eventually end up with what we all know was some of the darkest days in our lives and our history in the pandemic. The Jacinda Ardern, who was a, a um, or she was mentored by Helen Clark, she was in that government then working. And so it was all set up then. And so I saw the door open to a liberalisation, to a far-left um, government now who was bringing in um, very strange legislations and it was starting with the first country in the world to legalise gay marriage. Now, I didn't hate anybody. I never have. I have um, I've never uh, interfered with people's choices. That's their choice. But I did have some objection to making a legislation to a sexual orientation. All the time behind that drive was a team of people, of gay activists, and they had the plan uh, to basically get into parliament, take power, and bring, to bring their agenda in. And so that started there. And I gave notice to the public of New Zealand that your country will be lost if you continue to turn a blind eye to this. Well, I wouldn't have minded that you did that and just said, shut up, Ryan Tamaki. But to rebrand me a hater, a cult, and Nazism of all things, you know, the public of New Zealand brought into it. I didn't blame them because the mainstream media were already fairly, fairly well uh, liberalised and were under the spell of a socialist. That was Helen Clark. Yeah, don't worry. Everyone's called a Nazi now, and that's and that's the problem. It demeans. Uh, they've been throwing the genocide word around too. The yeah. disinformation project. It completely. Um, what's the word? 
disparages those terms and anyone who's ever suffered from them. It's it's not good. But anyway. Well, that's what's happened. That's that's why we're here, though, Paul. I mean, a lot of people might not agree with me, but it's facts. This didn't just start with Jacinda. It started with Helen Clark. Right. And, and I say I was darn bloody well right with Enough is Enough March. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Fair enough. Excuse, excuse my French. <laughs> That's all right. Did you go to France as well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, excuse your Turkish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so who who is under this umbrella exactly? Well, we have right now um, New Nation Party, Vision New Zealand, the registered parties, uh, Outdoors and Freedoms Party. Of course, the Freedom New Zealand umbrella is registered. Um, we have Rock the Vote. New Zealand, which is a central Auckland movement. Um, we have New Zealand Aotearoa. Um, we have the United Alliance that are there. These are unregistered parties. We have the Freedom and Rights Coalition. That's a movement. And we have two or three other interest groups and organisations as well. Now, I think Sue Gray is the... Deputy leader or number two on the list, you're number one if it, if it no, not quite Paul. Okay. Um, no, I have um stepped forward, we had talked, and Sue Lee, uh, Sue Gray is a co leader. So, okay. any, right. any talk about Brian Tamaki, um, Brian Tamaki show is not true, and I didn't make that move easily either, but I believe it was the right thing to do. Um, that co leadership, particularly with another with a female. And with a lady with some views that I respect and with my views and putting it together, I felt that it was a good move. So people have talked about, you know, the fragmentation, the egos. Yeah. Um, so what sort of work did you have to do to get people all on the same page, given that, you know, they've all got their own causes yeah. and their own histories, you know? Well, I'd like to... I like to be honest about this. Um, in spite of what people thought, my whole uh, motivation was this is what the people wanted. So really, this movement has come from the ground up, not from the top down. It's it's been it's been from the outset getting back our democracy that we've lost. Um, it's getting back our representation. Whether you like uh, representative democracy or direct democracy, it has both in it. In fact, this is the only political party that's talking about reforming what I would say is a pretty bad political system or even close to a crap one. Because in bringing it back to the people, and this is the beauty of this, involving uh, diversity in democracy, as you see with all these different parties, and I think this is a feat, and we've come together We've talked about the things we agree on. And this is what I did. Let's not talk about our differences so much right now. Let's talk about what we can agree on. And then let's make our unity from there, what we agree on, unite on that. And as we go along, we get to know each other, really know each other, not the media each other. And you know what, Paul? It's amazing across the board with a diverse group of people. I mean, in another in another life, I wouldn't mix with probably most of these people. Um, and they probably would mix with me, wouldn't they? No, they wouldn't mix with me either, probably. So I've, I've really gone on the approach that I'm going to do all I can to be relational, 
um, to say, look, we, we're a team together. We've got some expertise, some skilled people with us. I'm not the most skilled person. I'm not even a politician. I'm a good leader. I'm a good facilitator. I can, I can mobilise. I can help facilitate. I have that ability to do that. Now, everybody uses their gifts and talents. I believe this is what it's all about. So in every region, 72 electorates, there must be people who are more gifted than Andrew Little and um, Chris Hipkins and um, Mr. Luxon and, you know, the other guys see more. There must be people out there who know how to run farming. They do. We have people who are teachers now who have been in the, the, the profession for a long time, in the health sector, in, in the forestry sector, in industry, small to medium business. We have people right across the board, Paul, who are all putting up their hands saying to us, if you can unite this, you can bring it together. Um, I'd like to be on the list because I believe I can represent a portfolio for this region and help it to work because I've got the experience in it. And I think that's the stuff we're talking about. We're now getting people on the ground interested in politics. We've been shut out. Yeah, the media is going to pile on. It already kind of has over yeah. the weekend. Yeah. And you know what they're going to say about you because they've already said it all about you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it's a different kind of uh, context now. Now you're trying to, uh, well, first of all, be visible and then win people's interest then confidence and get them over the line. And and I think you're saying the potential is 20%. Well, a lot of the commentators are going to laugh <laughs> at that. Five, I'm laughing. <laughs> but, but five is the, the threshold that, that you've yeah. got to get over. Mm. Um, it's a substantially, uh, get your view on this, a se substantially secular voter base in this country now. So. Yeah. Well, you know what News Hub did, Paul? They thought I was so, such a, a clown. Because I know when TV3, we had five or six of the party leaders lined up, and he said, what do you, the 5% threshold is a possibility. Do you think you can do it? And what are you aiming for? And before any of them answered, I popped up and said, oh, no, we're not just going for 5%. We're going for 20%. This ain't a small party anymore. This is now a large party, and there are more coming. And you know what? 20% is not... Uh, impossible at all to reach. And so they must have thought I was a fool. I actually went out and said, what did I just say? Anyway, um, News Hub put a poll up. I think right now it's above 20%. Okay. And somebody else threw a poll up, guys, I think, and um, it's above 20% too. In fact, people were phoning me. I haven't even looked at it. I didn't know. And they said, you know, News Hub, the, the actual the actual media thing, I don't like you, and all the haters on there, they put a poll up and you're over 20%. Your 20% is a possibility. And I said, oh, of course it is. <laughs> well, I saw the Zeitgeist one. I think that was at 19%, yeah. 72, yeah. no, but 19%, yes. Yeah. So that's in that ballpark. Do you think there's a pent-up frustration, um, uh, dismay at where the country's going that, Really, all those issues of you know who who does what, and uh, you know yeah. is, he a, is he a religious nutter and all that are, are kind of going to be pushed aside. Do you think because of yeah. where people are at the moment? Well, you know what, I don't think people. In the end of the day, the government's so bad, as you know, Paul. It is it is bad 
and it's gone over the line to evil. So I know, I mean, I wouldn't be putting myself up there because I know how the public felt about me even before I did the um, protest movement. I tried to get a broad reach of people so I wouldn't be tagged, oh, it's a destiny thing on Brian Tarmaki's ego. But we did it. And I was involved in over 120 protests before the big one. By that time, I was in jail 10 days. And when they wouldn't, couldn't let me, wouldn't let me out um, to go back to protest, so they put me in a 24-hour curfew. And I was on that in house arrest for 79 days, visited by cops every day. So obviously the police and the government knew something that a lot of these other people out here didn't, that I was probably their most dangerous person. So... Um, New Zealand's most wanted. Yeah, I was, was. I mean, who does that? The High Court judge says this... Uh, I didn't realise you were house arrest, but did you say 79 days? 79 days. That, well, the High Court judge got me out of prison when my lawyer, I had the best lawyer, and thankfully to some people, a businessman on the North Shore are paying for that. I must say thank you to them. Well, they really believe what I was doing. I don't know who they are to this day, and they're still paying my legal bills. I've got a two-week trial coming up. So what happened was he's, the High Court judge said that this man should never have been put in prison for attending peaceful protests at that time and speaking. So he was about to let me go and got red-lighted on the computer system, and the Crown had stated that this man cannot be, if you're going to free me, cannot be free to just roam around. And so he said, well, you can go out of prison, but you've got to go to another prison called your house. And I was on that 24-hour curfew is worse than having a, an ankle bracelet because the cops came when you didn't know it every day. And the, and the uh, charge to me from the court was, if you were caught outside the gate, I was straight back in prison. They did that so it would cover all the rest of the protests, including the big one. Yeah. They they did not want me to lead those protests again. Policies, because, you know, if you get into any sort of power, you've got a nation that yeah. is running, right? Okay, so here's what I've seen so far. Pulling out of UN, WHO, WEF, groups, institutions, membership, think tanks, whatever they're called, mm. like that. So mm. that, that's, that's well, pretty let's, serious, right? Yeah, well, you're dealing with the global, the globalists and their influence, and I think the next move is to basically legalise the, the the basic um, bond to that um, is going to be a legal one. But in saying that, I, I think that refers directly to our sovereignty as a country, and part of our sovereignty is, is getting that back, not just from the globalists, but from crooked politicians and overseas interests who own us, um, getting out, it's, in a sense, it's just, it's morale, but it is also a very powerful principle. And one of the things that I believe in personally, I want to build a sovereign nation. Um, and you can't do that when you allow your sovereignty to be with everybody else. And I don't think, the, if the public's not aware of it, we don't have sovereignty or we're not actually using it or allowing ourselves um, to live in it. At the moment, it's in Parliament. They believe our sovereign. It should never be there. Um, they have stolen it from the people. And so and they've given it to globalists, some of these guys, and that's what they're trying to do too, is take the sovereignty away from some of the countries that now are waking up 
to the fact is that they can get on quite well. New Zealand has the ability to actually carve a great future for themselves to prosper. We've got great resources in this country, Paul. You know, the beauty of this country. I see where I've been and some of the, the, the opulence of these cities that I've been to blows me away when there is no you know, constraint to the fact of money being spent on what is most important, and that is getting the economy rolling by making sure that every person has a chance to succeed on a level playing field. I mean, I talk to taxi drivers, I talk to small business owners, and I talk to everybody. And in a country like Israel, where they had Arabs working in hotels, and some of the Arabs I talked to in the, um, in the taxi, and some from Africa and Sudanese, they come from direct from terrorist groups. And, and here, some of them working in Israel and Istanbul, and I said, well, how does this work? And do you feel like you want to, you know, react because of the anger and what you feel? He says, nah, I forgot that. When I start making money, I'm happy. And I thought, there's your answer to a lot of the conflict, uh, a lot of the, the cost, high cost of living. There's your answer to not being able to get housing and a whole lot of other things, the high unemployment we have and the benefits. If people could be allowed to be their potential, to work for a decent wage, free that up and all our interest rates and our inflation, that needs to be, that's the core, that needs to be dealt with. But what really is important that once you get people the opportunity to have work, to have business, to do business without government interference, without the restrictions and the regulations and the red tape, move that out of the way. Let farmers farm. Let small businesses do their business. Let somebody uh, who's at a workplace work hard and get what the money they earn, they can get it without overtaxing, without regulations, and without putting the high interest rates inflation. If we can remove that and allow people to prosper, that will in itself begin to move the country into a place where it can now see inflation taken down, interest rates taken down. The country is prosperous, then everything else prospers in it all. Look at eggs, GST. Eggs are $15 a, a dozen now, 15 Yeah, well, that, exactly. That shouldn't be like that. I mean, immediately you can deal with this. I think GST for a start can be um, looked at. We could take probably 10% off that for a start. And take it off food, yeah. And start to regulate the supermarket chains and the food chains and their the the sources and how much of a monopoly they have. Or create Those more things, competition, right? Create more competition. Create competition, but also regulate and say no, no. There are comp yeah, we grow competition. We get more businesses going with that. So there's competition that brings prices down. Um, indoctrination in schools. This yeah. is this is a. Well, in, in terms of being top of mind, quite a recent phenomenon. People are waking up to some of the things that are happening in classrooms. Yeah. So, so what do you do about that? Well, this is this thing we'd stop immediately. I mean, there's no no second thought about it. Um, the education is at the Department of Education or um, the Ministry. Anyway, Ministry of Education. Yeah. First of all, that needs a clean-up, like most of our departments. Um, you're talking about health crisis, you're talking about education crisis, Paul, and we're talking about a crisis with crime. You're talking about a high cost of living. 
and it goes on and on and on. You've got something like um, 50,000 Kiwis in the last seven months that have either left or are getting the process of bailing this country. You've got a new type of Kiwi now, and he's called a migrant, or he's a refugee. He's leaving his own country. Now, let's go back to this. You talk about policies. What's your policy? Probably the wrong question at the moment. You need to be asking about the politicians and the people that are making these policies. Our real problem is having the wrong people in parliament. We go a great length down the road of recovery and beginning to turn this country around when we get rid of the wrong people who are definitely in the wrong place. They're not meant to be there. And get in the right people, skilled people, people who know about what's happening, who are honest, believe it or not, who are accountable and integrous. And those people are out there, though, Paul. And that will go a long way to turning a lot of this rubbish around. Listen, these policies and these legislations, they only come from people. They don't come out of thin air. They don't just appear. They're made by people. So 88 years of government between Labour and National, and this is what we've got to show for it? Hmm. 25k earnings before tax kicks in. Mm. I mean, it's pretty obvious why you'd, um, and that speaks to what you're talking about in the, the broader sense of the economy there. So there's that, and this will be of great interest to our listeners. Cash for mandated workers and compensation for vaccine injured. Yep. I saw the pain and I'm still talking to people. I know a lot of people who lost their jobs by a government that lied to us about not forcing the, the uh, vaccines um, and mandating it, but she she lied. And the Labour government lied. And we had the most despicable, disgusting uh, ever um, occurrences in this country, Paul, and you know what we went through. They mandated. It got to the point where um, it was ridiculous. We should have had the biggest revolutionary rebellion ever in the world in this country when they tied us down, no talking to neighbours, no going to funerals or tangies, um, no travel, locked up in our houses, and now you're going to be forced to take the jab or lose your job or your business. And I've got a number of friends and businesses who I asked and said, did you take the jab for health reasons or to save your business? Not one single one said for health because most of them said if we had the choice we probably would have waited, like most of us, to see if the vaccine would work because there were some doubts from Pfizer who said it didn't prevent you from contracting COVID. I mean, that's a cross for me straight away. It's common sense. I don't know why you wouldn't take it after that. They didn't guarantee that you wouldn't transmit it after you caught it. So these guys were forced with people who were relying on their livelihood to be jabbed because this government illegally pushed something through that caused massive uh, damage to livelihoods, families, and you know. So some of these people on the frontline workers in health and that are still suffering today. We have shortages, we have crisis, and this government still won't employ people our best. They've gone. Many of them have gone overseas. We've lost good experience. Can, so can you I explain believe, that? Can you explain why they would carry on? 
with that? Um, is it yes, not being able to ever admit you're wrong or knowing that you've done something dastardly and you just got to? Yes, I can. People should have joined me when I had the last big protest in Wellington. We should have had one million people in Parliament. We should have uh, evicted them all. I'm talking about Luxon and I'm talking about Seymour. We pay them a big salary, a big chunk of our taxpayer money goes to what we call the opposition. Not one of those um, men in the Māori Party and Greens are in it as well, stood up for us in our darkest days. Listen, when people were losing their livelihoods, when they were forced to take a jab, I can't understand what's in the thinking of someone like Luxton or the National Party and Seymour and the rest of them, why they would even not only stand up or or say to the government, we're all walking out and we're collapsing the government. You can't do this. No, not only did they not do that, they went into some cross-party agreement. This is national. People, if you're listening to this, this is what you're doing. You're voting for national because you're desperate to get Labour out. You know, this is crazy if you do that. Absolute insanity for a party or parties that were actually uh, endorsing the same mandate that Labour was. In fact, Seymour said he would have forced it and Luxton agreed with it. Then they flip-flop. This is what these guys do. They're not true. They're not true leaders at all. They're professional politicians, they're career politicians. And they'll flip-flop to whatever the public does. And so the public of New Zealand, sometimes you really annoy me because you have short memories. You forget what some people did for you and you forget what people did to you. And I think it's time that the public of New Zealand showed that we are not going to take this and we should actually not vote for National, Seymour, or definitely not Labour. They shouldn't even get in. Uh, I, might be... leave the, I might leave the country if they get in <laughs> and um, disgust. And, and if you're paying out for vaccine injury uh, compensation yes. for that, you could end up having a huge bill, man. Massive. Oh, no, I just go and see Grant Robertson. He's got a printing machine in his garage. He seems to come up with billions from under his bed and billions from out of nowhere. He clicks his finger and he's got billions, Paul. If they can but... spend billions or waste billions on on nothing, they're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to the United Nations like uh, our mate Shaw did from the Greens, and if they're wasting billions and billions of dollars in wasteful spending of bureaucrats that we don't need, well, surely we can compensate our best people, nurses, teachers, frontline workers who have been denied their livelihood and have suffered. No, I don't mind paying out the world for them. And those who have been injured. Yes, absolutely. And seem to be and, more and more of them. And I'd like to spend whatever money we got left in dragging their sorry, sad asses back to court. I'm talking about sorry, my French got away with me for swearing. Dragging the whole Labour government, including Jacinda Ardern, to face um, court proceedings. Okay. Uh, inevitably, you're going to have to work with some of these people, possibly. Yeah. And okay, um, not very happy with them, but can you work with people that you're not kind of very happy with in the first place? Well, you, you've got to learn to work with all sorts of people in life. Um, I'm, I'm not too good at um, 
you know, you you say something about something and then you've got to suddenly hop in bed with it. Um, I'm probably not a good politician. I'm more a leader. But look, confidence and supply might be the answer. Um, to a, we get, get to the point where we do make it and make it well, and I hope people do vote Freedom's New Zealand Party vote, because then we can start to really uh, get to work to turn those things around. If that came to that case, Paul, I think it would be a confidence and supply or that we cause such disruption uh, in there that we don't want the status quo to continue. You just can't let this destructive force continue to get away with it. We're going in there to really, yes, get a seat or two and do the policy things that we talked about, but I would like to see a whole reformation of our political system. It's not right. Couple of quick questions to finish on. First Ooh. one is what happened with News Hub? They canned uh, um, an event or an, an, a booking that they had with you, and I saw you mentioning that. I wasn't quite clear of the circumstances because I didn't look at it <laughs> too long, but but someone pulled the rug. What happened there quickly? Well, number one, they were keen to have me there. I mean, over the moon when they I said to them I had an announcement, and they wanted exclusivity, and I said, well, okay, here's the deal. Um, you put the show on and give me a, a good crack at it without bringing up nonsense because people want to know about the party. And they agreed to that. And I think Hannah's her name was the executive producer. She was over the moon. So it was all set up. And right till the, I think it was the Friday, they started to want all the information about, uh, one, was I really going to stand? And I just told them I was. I mean, I wouldn't tell you I was going to stand and then suddenly change. I've thought about this, and it's the right time for me to do that. Number two, they wanted all the parties to be named that are actually right now in it. And I basically said, well, no, I can't right now. <laughs> this is crazy. Because I said, I do not have two over the line that I do want over the line before I come on Saturday morning. But I said, I back myself and believe that I will have them in time for you. No, not good enough. And I said, well, no, I'm not going to put names up now until I'm really sure, because I had a lesson when I did that on Barland Steps, and I said that the outdoors party was in the process. People didn't listen. And, of course, that's when it came out, and I shot my mouth off early. So I said, no, I'm waiting. I'm not jeopardising. And I, I've just hopped off a plane, but I'm not far. Can you be patient? And she said, yes. But then when we got to Saturday morning, suddenly we arrived, we only just arrived, and they said, no, sorry, we pulled the plaque. And um, now, that, but they were still carrying on with the show about Brian Tamaki mm. and the Umbrella Party, and here's the live Brian Tamaki just, out, just outside pulling the car, and they get this professor of religion to substitute for me to tell, tell you about me, who is outside the door. And that would be why, because they wanted to get ahead of what you're about to say and, and create uh, a narrative and shape in the minds of their viewers kind of what, what was coming. Gosh, who knows what really a wokey, liberal, far-left mind thinks. Uh, it's, it's either they wanted to yeah, take a hold of the narrative or a top, she was genuine, had it all rigged up about a top person somewhere 
even a government official could have said no. Okay. Um, don't put them on there, you're giving them exposure. They may have been afraid that I would take a hold of the show and push through um, some things that might have caused a, a, a media a media scrum. Yeah. And I did have a couple of things. <laughs> All right. Um, well, you're here now. Okay, just to wind up on you, part of your overseas trip, I know this mm. because we were chatting just before you came on and you told me you went to Gallipoli and uh, I picked up on that. And I know because I've heard you talking before about having ancestors who fell yeah. there in that conflict anyway. What was that like being there? Oh, absolutely moving, Paul. I, I'm i so glad I went and in spite of what people think and that, Hannah and I went there and... Um, Could you feel it? Up. Could you feel it? You can feel it. This is it. When you're in the actual geographical location where soldiers actually died, the trenches and where the New Zealand battalion was and also the Māori battalion. In fact, I was one of the first to go into the newly discovered, they had a kind of a marae for the for the Māori battalion that was fighting there. And um, right to that spot, we just opened, the Turkish government just opened it. And we were the first, I was the first New Zealand Māori to go there. Yeah, that was a chalk it up. Wow. Um, uh, and that was one of my relatives that was it fell. So it was kind of like, man, I was standing there and I was, this is what I, I thought and I said, you know, I said to them, I said uh, to my father, I said, look, you fought and died in this country and you didn't even get home. You were 21 years old and you were fighting for my freedoms. And I said, uncle, I'm still fighting for our freedoms today back in my country. We're still not free. Wow. Yeah. And that's the whole point, right? Here's the last question. And I hope you don't mind if I ask this, but I, I think it's appropriate given who you are, what you do, where you've come from, where you're going, all those things. When yeah. you pray about what you're about to do, what do you hear back? Wow. That's a very smart question because I get up well before dawn, every, most every day, about 4.35, making all depends if I'm not too tired, but 4 o'clock in the morning, I go outside. I've done this for... I'd say 40 years of my faith, I commune with God. Um, that's the most important relationship in my life. And I'll be honest with you, I don't very seldom only once, twice in my life have I heard an inner voice very loud that wasn't my own. Um, most times it's a great sense of knowing that he leaves something within me and I already know what that is. So the ability to kind of have a, you know, a month ahead or two weeks at least at times that I know that's where I've got to be. And this is probably what I've got to say. It's, it's not always in plain writing. It's often not a, a voice that's like a human voice that speaks out of the clouds. It, it moves me deeper beyond usually opinions. And um, that's how I've built the church. That's how I've built my family's five-generation family on good values. Um, that's been handy for knowing basically how to handle situations, not all the time, but it gives me great strength, courage, and faith to know I've got God backing me. 
Well, thank you for making some time for us this morning. It's uh, been really interesting to hear what you've had to say and for us to sort of kind of know where everything's at at the moment. And yeah. you're in for a hell of a ride, man. I know that. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. It's been very... Um... It's been very pleasurable talking to you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.